Okay, so I'm going to take a stab at this. Death and suffering. No matter who you are, what your background is, where you want to go in life, what you want to deal with, what you want to create, who you want to be, what you believe in, what you've been told to believe, ultimately it all comes down to two things. You have to come to terms with what you believe about death and suffering. The human condition is such that these two things and your answer to them determine everything else. And we don't like to think about these types of things because they're kind of morbid, maybe a little depressing, but ultimately they are extremely important to think about because you will have to come to terms with what you believe about them at one point or another in life. Now, sometimes, actually most of the time, it seems that life brings us to this conversation through accidents, right? Through things that happen, people die in our lives, we lose things, we get betrayed, we break up in a relationship, we get injured. Flavors are endless, right? I mean, there's just so many ways that we experience these things, but they do influence every aspect of our life because Your answer to these two questions of death and suffering will determine your freedom, ultimately, your spiritual freedom and how you experience this thing we call life. Now, traditionally, there have been three sort of ways, I'm going to say four, but three major ways, and then you have Christianity, which I'm going to argue is the correct or true way to interpret these things for the goal of attaining spiritual freedom. But the main three ways that we have approached this problem of death and suffering go something like this. So the first way is I'm going to call in quotations negative. And the second way, we're just going to go through these and then I'll, I'll go back and circle back. So the first way is quote negative. The second way would be quote positive response and then you have kind of a quote neutral response so negative basically means i mean if you can think about any time we're faced with suffering what is the default way that most people will respond usually we'll turn to distractions drugs uh, complaining anger negative emotions running away blaming other people that kind of thing so you know, that would be sort of the negative way. And then the, keep in mind that all these things have a benefit. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing them. You know, so there is a benefit to these behaviors. And the benefit is comfort. You get immediate comfort. When you blame somebody, you know, you, you revoke your responsibility at the benefit of comfort. You know, being right versus being accountable. Nobody wants to be accountable. It's very uncomfortable to admit that you had any part in whatever happened, right? That's uncomfortable. That means death for the ego. And so you have to run away from that. You know, the ego forces us to run away. And so our our habit of blaming, whether it's blaming a situation or the world or the economy, politics, somebody else, doesn't matter. 
that secures for us an immediate comfort because we're right. And when we're right, we have that sense of certainty. You know, certainty is a baseline fundamental human need that we all have. And we constantly search for certainty. And so this is a way to satisfy that need because suffering creates a cognitive dissonance in our mind. And that dissonance is between the truth and ego. And ego doesn't want to die. It will do everything possible to remain alive. And so when something comes to challenge that sense of ego, that sense of self, cognitive dissonance happens. And so we we strive for certainty. And if you aren't mentally strong, then you will fall by the wayside. You'll fall to comfort. You'll blame other people. You'll blame blame the situation. You'll turn to drugs. I mean, most of the, re, you know, all the research that's been done on, on drugs and drug addiction is not even about the pleasure that drugs offer, but rather the sense of connection. You know, everybody who's a drug addict or any kind of addiction, really, in general, they can attest that the real reason they're addicted, fundamentally, deep down inside, maybe they're aware of it, maybe not, you know, but the people who are aware of it, they're all lacking a sense of connection. There's a famous mouse study on this. And, you know, it was very clear that even with hard drugs like cocaine, when the mice were offered a chance to socialize, to be connected, to have everything that they would normally have in a ideal, you know, natural situation, that the drugs didn't have the hold anymore, right? So ultimately, it's all about having that sense of certainty of belonging, of belonging to others, to having that sense of connection, all these fundamental needs that we, that we feel are torn away from us when we experience suffering or death. And death, you can understand here, doesn't mean just like somebody dying in your life, but you know, things are dying all the time around us. Things are dying, you know, your body's dying every day. That's aging, you know, and we start experiencing aging and, and coming to terms with death the older we get. Because when we're young, we, unless you have an injury, uh, you know, or let's say you're born with some sort of you know, critical disease, you aren't really forced into that conversation. But as you get older, you know, you know get your 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, you start saying, oh, crap, man, I can't do what I used to do 10 years ago. Huh, that's suddenly obvious. And so death becomes a very real thing, but it's been going on since you were born. The moment you were born, you were starting to die, right? So everything dies. You know, the things that you own, they die, they depreciate, they, they rust, they turn into dust, they break. So everything in this world is constantly ruled by death. So that's what I mean when I say death. So ultimately, you have to decide how to turn with these things. And most of the time we... As we grow up, we, we turn the negative way. You know, we, we, we revoke responsibility for some sort of immediate human need satisfaction, whether it's certainty, whether it's connection, whether it's feeling important. You know, these, these human needs that are just vital to our existence as an ego, as a self, have to be fulfilled early on. And so that's why we tend to go the negative route. But then as you grow and mature... Uh, you know, we say spiritually mature or whatever, right? You you start to search out a different way of doing things because you realize, okay, you know, this is a false doctrine. You know, being in my ego and following the dark path, right, of violence, anger, pleasure, you know, hedonism, running away, blaming, whatever. You name your flavor of negative behavior to cope with stress and suffering. And that just doesn't 
allow me to be free because I'm a slave to desire and fear. You're predictable. Anytime you are under desire or fear, you are predictable. So you're not truly free as much as, you know, as much as you feel free with all these materialistic distractions, with, you know, all the drugs, with all the blaming, with all the, you know, feeling of I'm right and they're wrong. You know, when, whenever we're under these influences, we're not, we're not really free. We're, we're not able to make another choice other than that which is dictated by our emotions. And that's really the point. And so you start to be aware of these things. You start to realize like, man, there's got to be a different way because I want to be free of those behaviors. I want to do better. I want to grow. I want to find truth, right? That's really what it's all about. It's ultimately the truth shall set you free, as Jesus said. And and there's a very fundamental, important fact in that statement is that truth is the source of freedom. You know, my entire life, I've always wanted to be free. Freedom was a huge value for me, but I realized, and as I'll share with you throughout this recording today, that many of the the responses I had to that desire and all the three ways that we're going to talk about today, I, I explored them all quite in depth for myself, both the negative, the positive, and the neutral. They're all false doctrines because none of them are the truth. None of them are the full truth. Some of them have half truths. And this is also very important because we get led astray by things that feel somewhat true, but then they lead lead you to a dead end. So with the positive side of things, you know, what that tends to look like, we'll call it super ego, you know, as as, uh, the psychology between id, ego, super ego, you know, having this sense of a higher self, right? That Freud put together so many years ago. And, and it's all the same stuff, you know? So it's this this idea that, you know, I'm going to take suffering and death and this fundamental, you know, seemingly negative aspect of, of existing as a human being. And I'm going to make something constructive out of it. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to develop discipline. I'm going to read books. I'm going to master myself. I'm going to, you know, make lists and goals and, you know, do all of these things, right? So we, we're going to take accountability, take responsibility because the old me was giving up on those things. I wouldn't take responsibility. I would blame my circumstances. Well, now I'm going to take responsibility and, and I'll be the creator of my life. All right. So all those things sound really, really good. And certainly they seem to create better results than, you know, the other way of doing things, right? Of of giving up and being, you know, blaming people or being hedonistic or, you know, being violent, all these types of things, right? So they seem good. And in some sense, you know, they are, they are better. You should make plans for your life and you should, uh, you know, strive to improve and, and seek progress in the things that you do. But this is where what I just mentioned about a half-truth that leads you down a path that seems like it's the truth, and then it leads you to a dead end. And this was a big wake-up call for me personally, because when I realized it, you know, I had spent, you know, 15 years of my life being an entrepreneur, being a coach, being an athlete, a professional athlete reading books, doing everything imaginable to improve myself, biohacking, you know, taking all kinds of supplements, doing health tests. I mean, every aspect of my life was an aspect to measure. 
you know, and that came very naturally to me. For some people, it comes a little less naturally because they're not super into measuring everything. But either way, we all want progress. You know, fundamentally, that's something we can all rally behind is this, again, it's a fundamental need, which is progress. We want to have a sense that we're doing better than we did yesterday. And that's very important to our mental health and our psychological well-being is this this idea that we live on a continuum, on a timeline. And and that timeline specifically is moving up, right? That's that's ultimately what we always want. And so that in and of itself can be your self-destruction, your spiritual self-destruction. It's a false path. And I'll explain to you why. Because ultimately what happens is no matter how you slice it, whether it's the negative reactions that we just described or whether it's all of these seemingly positive things, which again, they're not bad to have to some extent in your life. In either case, what it comes down to is you're putting your attention first and foremost on the material world. That's why this is a false doctrine. That's why all this personal growth nonsense today. I mean, personal growth is a billion, multi-billion dollar industry. And the reason it's a multi-billion dollar industry is because it gives you the half-truth that you are the full and sole author of your life. Why? Because they can sell something. That's really what it comes down to, is that they can sell you a package. You know, if you came in, if I led a seminar right now, and I and we called the seminar, you know, how to, you know, lose weight and get a better body. Let's put it that way. And you came to my seminar and I said, okay, you know, here's everything that you need to do to lose weight and have a better body. You need to take these kind of vitamins. You need to have reduced stress. You need to exercise daily. You need to do X, Y, and Z. You need to make your gut flora, make sure you have the right bacteria so you're eating the right things. And and you go through hundreds of things. When it comes to health, there are hundreds of things that contribute to a seemingly simple result like, oh, I want to lose weight. Well, it's not that simple. You know, it's just like brushing your teeth or let's say not even that, having healthy teeth, having good oral health. That's, you know, they've connected oral health to everything from cancer to gut health to, you know, heart health. I mean, oral health is of paramount importance. And how many people actually know all of the elements of oral health? I'll tell you a few right now. Having the right vitamins and minerals at peak levels in your body. If you don't do that, your teeth won't remineralize and they're susceptible to cavities. Another one is the frequency that you eat. I used to eat carbohydrates, you know, every three hours. That that was the fad a couple of years ago is to eat frequent meals. And that's terrible for your oral health because you're constantly giving the bacteria in your mouth, you know, supplies and food to basically replenish themselves. Another one is cleaning your tongue. How many people clean their tongue every day, twice a day? How about flossing? How about using red light therapy to reduce inflammation because some people are more prone to gum disease? How about having things like boron and iodine, which are two minerals that nobody has any clue about. Most people don't at least, but they're integral to maintaining the mineral balance in your saliva as well as keeping your saliva a certain pH and keeping it antibacterial so that the gut flora and your saliva don't change. Now, all of this sounds super technical and crazy and maybe it's a little overwhelming and I intentionally wanted to share this with you because the real truth about having good oral health having great teeth having no cavities is a complicated truth it's a practice it's not as simple as brushing your teeth or using you know fluoride toothpaste or some BS tooth whitening you know service 
you could have white teeth, but if they're rotten on the inside and you have you know a ton of bad bacteria, if you have low nutrients in your body, it's not gonna work, right? So this is the point. But you see, marketing wouldn't make any money if they shared the truth with you. If they told you, if I if you came to my seminar about losing weight or having oral health, and I told you all of these things, I can guarantee you that eight out of ten people leaving that seminar would kind of nod their heads, oh, that was interesting, but they wouldn't do anything about it. They just wouldn't, because most people don't see value in the process of practicing everyday basics, of seeing that everything that you want in your life is not some simple, I'll just do this one thing. It's a, it's a summation of different things that creates a dance, right? That's why it's like a dance of life. That is the dance of life. The dance of life doesn't have just one move. It's an entire choreography. And so this is where the personal growth industry, to kind of circle back to what we're talking about today, this is where this personal growth industry is, to me, a little predatorial. And that's why I've stopped caring about promoting any personal growth. You don't need personal growth. You need virtue. You need faith. Faith is the root of all virtues. It's the root of courage. It's the root of generosity. It's the root of gratitude. It's even the root of love. Without faith, you can't do any of those things. And I'll tell you what, if you have virtue, then everything else is much easier. Success is much easier. If you're successful, but you don't have virtue, I really feel sorry for you. I pity the person who reaches success, material success, but doesn't have spiritual success because you're going to be miserable. Guaranteed. No way around it. So there has to be something more, you know. And and this is where we start to see the neutral way of doing things. And by neutral, again, remember, these are just umbrellas for different false doctrines. The negative is all the things we talked about where you go into yourself, right, Violence, pleasure, hedonism, blaming, all these things that give us these very low-level needs like comfort in the exchange for some sort of behavior. Then there's the positive, which kind of seems better, but it still feeds your ego. You know, it still feeds your ego. That, that whole idea of constantly growing and progressing in the material world and measuring yourself with material world standards, whether it's more money that you made, it's more books that you read, you know, all of these things are material measurements, so they feed your ego. It just seems like it's better. And again, in some sense, it is better in that, you know, if everybody did that versus if they were going to, you know, be violent and complain, sure, the world would be a better place. But at the end of the day, you're still not saving yourself. You're still not free. Because have you ever noticed that on the road to trying to be a better person, trying to be more present, and that's my favorite one, trying to be more enlightened, trying to be better at anything, have you ever noticed that it just never ends? There's always another level. There's always something more to shoot for. And so guess what? You're back in the trap of desire and fear too, because some people, the things that they're, you know, like with, with health, I'll use this as an example because it's an easier example. But, you know, you go to the gym, right? How many people are going to the gym out of a desire to constantly be liked, be more important? 
right now is the outcome good sure yeah you're getting healthier you're getting a stronger body the body is our temple it's a sacred space and so of course yeah being healthy is important but at what point do you draw the line right at what point does your obsession with being healthy become unhealthy at what point do you come so focused on the material world and your body that you lose sight of your spirit and this is what you see and again i'll use health as a simple example but you could apply this to business entrepreneurship any any area of ascension enlightenment personal growth anything where we just keep trying to do something you're still a slave to some sort of desire now we can play semantics and say you know these are higher desires you know these are i'm ascending i'm becoming more enlightened that's all bs at the end of the day look you're still trapped under desire or worse fear of not being enlightened you know how about that how about fear of you know withering away in your body so you got to go and work out and maintain and maintain this precious physical thing i mean look at all the people doing biohacking today you know i still take my supplements because i've read too much to to not take them it's important to be as healthy as possible but how many people today take supplements and vitamins and diet and do all these things because they're afraid subconsciously they have some sort of fear that's motivating them fear of being ugly fear of not being liked fear of withering away you know how much you know when you really sit down and think about all this how much of our behavior is actually free you ever thought about that I'll tell you that none of it is. And that's that's a hard, that's another can of worms we can open at, an, at a different time. But ultimately, when you realize that no matter how you slice it, you're always under some pull or push of some kind, whether it's desire for being better or the desire of comfort and, and just responding like a little child. You have some desire that is motivating you to act. And you can say the same about fear because they're just polar opposites of the same force. And so all of this stuff, what it leads us to eventually in our spiritual journey, as we keep wanting the truth, right? We want to be free. We again realize that we're not free. Even with all this work and hustle and grinding, we realize, holy smokes, I'm still not free. I'm still a slave to that next thing. Have you ever started something like a business or a project or anything that you just love doing and you end up hating it because there's just so much to do and then you have to motivate yourself and read inspirational you know, posts or go to inspirational talks and get yourself pumped up again so you can keep grinding only to realize that you hate even more what you're doing? Unfortunately, it's quite common. That's because the material world is a storm. It's an ongoing storm of change and challenges and things out of your control. And that's ultimately what you realize is that no matter what your response, it doesn't matter because fundamentally you aren't in control. And so that leads most people, once they realize this, if they don't get depressed, <laughs> it leads them to the next way of handling this, this fundamental problem of suffering, which is neutrality. And neutrality is basically this. It is what Zen teaches. It is this idea of surrendering to non-duality, letting go of all this duality, because no matter how you slice it, you're still under the influence of something. And so the only way to truly be free is to let go of action, 
to surrender. Now, this is very seductive. And in some sense, it is a half-truth because part of it is true. You do have to surrender. We aren't free. Free will is an illusion. And you may not like how that sounds, but the part of you that doesn't like how that sounds is your ego because that was the part of me that didn't like it either. Think about it this way. To believe that you have free will, what does that actually mean? What does the forbidden fruit of good and evil actually mean? Was it a story about a real tree? Was it a metaphor? I don't really know, but I'm going to give you my answer. My answer is this, that the forbidden fruit is free will. The knowledge of good and evil, what that really means is that you know how to choose between good and evil. And what that further means is that you know how to make the best choice, the goodest choice, right? You know how to distinguish between what is the best possible outcome and what is the most evil or worst possible outcome. And when you really think about that, it means that you know how to make the best possible choices for your life. That's what free will means. And that's ego in its finest. You know, today we raise the individual up on a platform and we say freedom and everybody wants freedom. And it's true, freedom. We want freedom. We want to be free. But we get lost on the way there because the ego snatches us up in all sorts of seductions. If you believe that you can make the best possible decision for your life, you're doomed. Plain and simple. And I'll prove it to you. Because your brain is limited. There's no possible way that you can have understanding about everything possibly going on right now. Take for example this. Do you beat your heart? Do you grow your bones? Do you tell your immune system to move around and clean things? Do you tell your kidneys to filter water properly? We don't do any of that. You know, we say, I walk to the store. We take ownership of, of walking. But we don't say, I beat my heart on the way to the store. Why don't we do that? Why do we ignore something that's even more fundamental, but then we lift ourselves up with things that are pretty trivial? You see how that works? So that's why free will is an illusion, because ultimately we are limited. There is no way you can keep track of every moving piece in the universe. And this is where we get lost with the whole idea of taking accountability, taking ownership over our lives. We are the creators. You're not the creator. There's only one creator. Now, we can share in the creation, but our part is very minimal. So don't get lost in this idea that you are the sole creator and influencer of your life because it's a false teaching. You have to realize that you cannot make the best choices for your life, period. We think we can, but what do we use as a basis for that choice? We use what we currently know or what we've experienced, which is an extremely small slice of the truth. And so it is impossible for you to make the best choices for your life. How many times have you made a choice to do something and it led you in a completely different direction? And that's serendipity. That's the grace of God guiding you. It's not you and your own efforts. And so ultimately, we cannot make the best choices for our life. And when you realize that, you realize that surrender is the only way to be free. But how you surrender, this is where people get lost a final time. 
with non-dualism and all of these teachings that ultimately teach you to be present, to let go of action, to let go of desire. There's some truth in that. There's some great truth there. And, and certainly coming from the previous two ways of dealing with suffering and realizing that maybe everything is, you know, I don't have to act. I don't have to do anything. Realizing these things for the first time is very peaceful. And, and the peace that you obtain is enough to seduce you into thinking that this is the full truth. But again, it's a false teaching. It's comforting at first to realize that you don't have to do anything. That maybe there's a slice to life that is meaningless. And not in a negative way, but just it just is. That's the Tao. Just moving around, and you get to be part of that. It's like a lava lamp. But it leads you down a false path, and this is, this is how. And ultimately, this takes some discernment, because, again, these teachings are very seductive. And right now I'm talking about things like non-duality, monism, pantheism. If you don't know what any of that that means, don't worry about it. But it's basically a general umbrella for how non-duality tends to lead people in their different directions. And when you realize that you don't have to act, most people will go about doing things like transcendental meditation, believing in a higher self, that I am the universe, you know, or being just as present as possible and all these things. Again, that they sound really good. They sound really spiritually sexy on the surface, but again, they are false teachings. I'm going to tell you why. Because ultimately, these things, again, do nothing but bring you back to material world worship. The present moment is not all there is. This is a false doctrine. And you have to come to terms with that. Again, in your quest to answer these two questions about death and suffering, Christianity presents us with a very important dilemma, which is there is an afterlife. And the material world is an illusion. It's a total illusion. Everything in this world, I mean, if you sit around and you just notice one present moment going into another, just just take a notice of that and, and ask yourself, where the hell does all of this stuff go? Where does the present moment go? You know, Nietzsche and nihilism, they all kind of approached this problem and had a very interesting thing to say about it, that we don't actually exist at all, right? So whatever you think about it, ultimately, the more you really consider your life and you consider your reality here, it has to be an illusion. I mean, what's it all for? If all of this stuff, you can't control it, Everything dies away. Everything is constantly changing. You can't hang on to anything. And then you die. What's it all for? What is the point? And you see, that's a fundamental question that you cannot get away from. And the sooner you start addressing it for yourself, the sooner you can be happier and free. Because if you start addressing this at the end of your life, you're going to be very depressed. I can guarantee you that. So start thinking about it now and realize that this is not all there is. I mean, even just the visual spectrum itself. If you're familiar with that, basically what we see is less than 1% of all the energy on the electromagnetic spectrum. So when you get that, when you realize that just what you see and experience in the world is literally less than 1% of the truth, it's not much of a stretch to say that there probably is an afterlife of some kind. And the more you research into those things, which we don't get into here, you realize that, yes, there is an afterlife. There is something beyond 
this existence. So then if that's the case, why are people so focused on being present? This is something to ask yourself. Because the more you focus on the present world, it's very easy to become obsessed with it. To be obsessed with material pleasures, with the pleasure of the present moment. Yes, it's important to be present. Absolutely. Especially when you're dealing with other people. You know, don't be on your phone. Don't be distracted. Listen. Be 100% participating in everything that you do. Of course, again, these are things that are valuable. Just like making goals and planning your life is valuable. But if you put these as the central pillar of your life, you will get led astray. Because I'll tell you what. When you're present and when you're detached and when you don't have a sense of right or wrong in reference to an afterlife, you're not doing anything for yourself spiritually. Again, it's very seductive to feel peace from the storm of life and its duality. But don't get so seduced that you get trapped in this quicksand pit of non-duality, of non-action of believing that you're the universe, of believing that, you know, we're just one with the Tao and all these types of things. You aren't. You're part of it, for sure. But you are an individual experience. And this is the danger. You get into moral relativism when you start believing these things and putting them as a central pillar of your life. And with moral relativism, if everything is fundamentally meaningless and it's just nature then there is no reason to be moral. There is no reason to be courageous. There is no reason to develop virtue. So again, we run into a fundamental problem because whether you're Christian or Buddhist or Islam or atheist or New Age, whatever, you have to come to terms with what is the afterlife? And what are you, more importantly, based on your answer, what are you basing your answer on? This is very important. What are you basing your answer on? Are you basing it on, you know, what you've seen from other people? Do the research. Find out who started the New Age movement. Find out how the various religions of the world developed. Find out the archaeological evidence. Look into Christianity's origin in its history and the reason that it proposes what it proposes. Because every other religion right now is merging into one New Age philosophy that prioritizes the material world over living humbly, living in a virtuous manner, having moral objectivism, and preparing for an eternal afterlife. There's no other religion other than Christianity that argues this. And so it's at odds with everything else. So you have to ask yourself which one's true. Either Christianity is false, it's a false teaching, or it's not, right? Because everything else is relatively the same. And maybe that offends some people, but look, just look into religion and history and you'll find the truth. And so if we find the truth that everything ultimately leads to some sort of creation worship or self-worship that you are the god you are the creator you can save yourself with secret knowledge and enlightenment and, and hustle and grinding and effort 
or you know be present enjoy the moment the eternally dying moment that is here don't don't worry about the future eternal life that you have be here now in the present moment enjoy the pleasures of the world and be present forget about you know action forget about morality forget about desire and fear just be here now be stuck in this eternal present and when you die that's it you didn't do anything for your spirit all of these things are false teachings that have something to offer again being you know hustling and grinding sure yeah you have to do that to some degree but if you make that the, the focus of your life you're going to be lost you're going to be lost to the material world because you are in the paradigm of it's me that has to do everything and you forget to surrender and when you don't surrender you aren't free but then if you do surrender and you surrender to non-duality to non-dualism to the Tao, to all of these different things to the natural world mother earth the universe whatever you want to call it those things will also lead you astray because there is only one source of truth and that is the personal god that was revealed to us time and time and again throughout the historical texts of the old testament and through if you're a christian the life of jesus christ and when you realize those things when you realize that all of the doctrines that have been purported to be different religions and different things all actually have a common origin. Believe it or not, they all have a common origin. And that Christianity is at odds with everything that is presented today. Look around you today. Look around you at media, at the New Age movement, at spirituality at consumerism look at everything around you and you will see that the things that are promoted and easily allowed into people's minds they're all relatively the same thing they're just different flavors of it and it's all to get you to focus on this material world nothing that is popular nothing that is mainstream nothing that is hip tells you to develop faith, to live a moral and just life, to live humbly. Humility, I mean, humility is like the least taught thing in any culture, any spiritual practice. Even the New Age movement, which again feels good. Yes, enlightenment, light, ascension, all of this nonsense. It's all the forbidden fruit that you can choose the best for your life, that you are the highest source, that you're the divine. That's blasphemy. It is total ignorance. We have been created for one purpose, and that is to serve and be in cooperation with the personal God. And to do that, we have to develop virtue. When you develop virtue, when you live a life that's based on humility, when you crucify the flesh, as it's said, what does that mean? What does that really mean? That means to live a life that's not based on the ego and the ego has so many different forms don't let it fool you the ego is not just complaining and blaming other people because you're too arrogant the ego is thinking that you can make the best decisions for your life and getting wrapped up in the material world there's many different flavors don't get seduced the only way to get rid of the ego is to surrender your will to god because in doing so you recognize that there is a supreme being that knows how to make the best decisions for your life. And the only way that he can work in your life is by you allowing him to work 
Because in his infinite love, he's not going to force you. He's going to create you with free will. Now, here's the true definition of free will. You ready? Free will is not choosing between good and evil. It's not you presuming that you can make those choices. Free will is the difference between surrendering to the will of God or choosing ego. That's the only choice that we have in life. When you choose ego, you choose your own way of doing things, that you are the supreme author of your life. When you surrender to the will of God, as it's said even in the Our Father, thy will be done, you allow truth and goodness and humility and freedom to flow into your life because you surrender the ego. And this is why we come back to the truth, which to me is Christianity. Christianity is the only perspective. Now, I'm not, be, let's be very clear. I'm not talking about religion, okay? We're not talking about religion. We're talking about the original perspective presented by Jesus Christ. There's a narrow door to salvation. Many walk the wide path to self-destruction. So, you have to ask yourself, what is it that I believe and why? Why do I believe what I believe? What do I believe about death and what do I believe about suffering? The only way to eternal life is through surrender and letting go of the ego, letting go of this idea that we are the masters of our life. Because as we entertain and strengthen that idea through various worldviews, which I've just outlined, and we could probably spend you know a few more hours on this, but the point is this, as we strengthen that through practicing things like hustling, grinding, reaffirming ourselves, empowering ourselves. Now, again, don't get me wrong. It's, it's okay to do some of this stuff, but always keep in mind what it's feeding. You should have confidence in life. You should be confident, but there's a very fine line and it's very attractive to do so much for your confidence that you forget humility. Humility should be the central virtue of your life. Because essentially, humility is the root of faith, if you think about it. To believe that you are not capable of making the best decisions of your life requires humility. Therefore, humility leads to surrender and humility leads to faith. And humility, look around you one more time. Humility is the last thing that is promoted in our culture, in spirituality, Everywhere you look in personal growth, nobody in personal growth presents you with humility. It's all about the self. Why? Because they can make money off of that self. If everybody was humble and didn't have to affirm themselves and their pride, the economy would be, I don't even know what the economy would be like. It'd be totally different. But there's money to be made when there is a self, when there's an ego. And that ego doesn't have to be evil on the front, but it's still ego. Right? It's still materialistic goals. You can't keep anything when you die. You can't keep any money. You can't keep any clothes. You can't keep you know, the nice house that you bought. You can't keep any of your goals. Who cares? A thousand years from now. Look at all the people in the past that were great people. Alexander the Great, the pharaohs, the Roman emperors. They're all dead. Meaningless. It's gone forever. You could be a trillionaire. You're going to die the next day. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And so you have to 
ask yourself one more time. What does death and suffering mean to me? How do I deal with these fundamental questions? And how can I be truly free from the problem of being a human being? And the only way I present to you today is to surrender. And not surrender to Mother Nature or the universe or some, you know, higher self, because that's going to lead you astray. Surrender to God, to the personal God that was revealed to us over and over again, to the personal God who has tried to develop an intimate relationship with us, his creation. Yet we rejected him over and over again. That God is waiting at the door of your soul right now. And you're listening to this for a reason. Open the door and, as it said, the truth shall set you free.